sleep. That'll be good. Uh, I went to college with Clayton and Mary. I've known them for many, many years. Clayton is our uh, number one associate guy here and does a great job. Mary's wonderful. Clayton Shady, you're blessed, right? We know that. I was in their wedding, so I've been a part of of, uh, of y'all for a long, long time. And Sarah uh, grew up. Sarah, you grew up, obviously. I say obviously, but for those who you don't know, no, you grew up in a good moral Christian home, correct? Yes, that's the redneck test. As you said, my dad's the associate pastor here, and before that, he was a youth minister. I think we call him student pastors now. Um, for 20 years before that, so that was my entire life before they moved here. And they, as well as my older brother, not only um, you know, attended church, but also lived that life at home, and I witnessed that right, as well. Right, right, that, and that's, that's wonderful. Uh, Sarah, when you were young, you, you walked an aisle, you, you were baptized, you joined the church, correct? Yeah, at age 10 at VBS, I prayed the sinner's prayer. A couple weeks later, I was baptized um, by my dad. And at that time, I made a decision on the knowledge I had as a 10-year-old. Um, I obviously, growing up in church, was very familiar with the gospel and understood sin and made a decision based on, on that. Right. Sarah, you know, I, through the years, even before y'all moved here, I'd, I'd kept up with, with you, and, and your dad was always very proud of all three of you, and that, that you, growing up, you, you, like, you didn't ever bend off and, you know, spend time in the Tennessee women's prison or anything. You were always a, a, a good moral, you're a good, a good young lady, correct? Yeah, on the outside, I looked like a good kid. I never went the stereotypical rebellious preacher kid route. That just didn't like appeal father. to me. yes. And you. And me, yes. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. Uh, Sarah, obviously active in church. I mean, you were, that's, you get, Clayton gets fired if you don't go to church, so you were always active in church, weren't you? Yeah, and in college, I led small groups when we moved here. It was natural that I led a, a small group and taught a connection group. I think several of those girls are here right. now. That's that, That's awesome. Sarah, uh, everybody, I'm going to say everybody, I'm going to say almost all of us thought that you were really solid with God and that you were, the simplest terms, you were Christian. But something happened, uh, well, backtrack a little bit. Did, did you feel like through the years something was kind of missing, something was a little bit off? I'd had doubts. Um mm-hmm. Through the years, that would come and go. I can remember a few specific times, once like a few years after I'd made that decision as a child, and then again, specifically in high school. And then the more I reflected, the more I realized the doubts were more prevalent than I'd even realized. But I'd never necessarily about God or about Christianity, but specifically about my relationship with Him. Right. That, that's, a neat, that's an interesting distinction. You, you weren't doubting the Bible. You weren't doubting the existence of God. You were doubting your relationship with, with, with Christ. Essentially. Okay. A few months back, something really kind of got your attention. Tell us about that and what you did. So, yeah, there was a period, it has been in the fall, where the theme of salvation and knowing you're saved kept coming up. I think you'd preached a sermon. Um, it'd come up in one of our connection group classes. Ronnie Dowling's one of our teachers, and, and his testimony is one of walking the aisle as a child and getting saved truly as a young adult. And then it kind of came to a head. I was at a weekly Bible study, a um, midweek Bible study at the home of Trey and Janetta Robertson, and 
Braden Hilton gave his testimony, which is one now very similar to mine, of growing up in the church, living this appearing to be moral good life, but realizing he'd never fully given himself to Christ. And after that, I um, know that just, like I said, brought kind of all the doubts to a head. So that next morning, I got up like I typically did to do my quiet time, but this time with the intention of I was going to settle these doubts. And so I spent the morning in prayer, reflecting on you know, why was I having the doubts, you know, look at my life. And um, what kept coming back to me was Jesus is the Prince of Peace, mm-hmm. and I didn't have peace. And he desires for us to be confident in our salvation, to know we're saved, mm-hmm. and I didn't have that. So I, um, so I, I knew I wanted to settle that. There's no reason to feel that way. So it was about 5.30 in the morning, I went and woke up my husband and told him what I was feeling, what I was going through, and he told me later, it took him a little aback, but at that moment he said, well, you know know what to do, we know how to settle this, so let's do it. So I prayed, then that morning, it happened to be Halloween morning, um, you know, to give my life fully then to Christ. Wow. Awesome. And... Sarah, after that, uh, in the, the next few weeks then, you, you made that public and you were baptized, weren't you? I was about a couple weeks later. Was that hard? There was some anxiety definitely surrounding it. And that was one of the reasons I woke up Tyler and had him pray with me is because I knew it would be easy. Everyone already thinks I'm a Christian for me mm-hmm. to just keep make this a personal decision and keep it to myself. Right. And just continue to live life more or less right. like I was outwardly. You know, Sarah, uh, what is, and I've said this to other people sitting in your chair before, six months ago, God forbid you had died, you know, all of us would have felt like that you were right with God, you were in heaven, but it doesn't sound like that's the case. That's really scary, isn't it? I mean, it can be. That's, that's very scary. You know, I, I know today, uh, people watching uh, at home, uh, people here that are in the same shoes, that they, they need to make a decision for Christ, the wisest thing you can do, period. They, they need to do it this morning. It's, it's really hard a lot of times in a Bible Belt church, especially if they've been in church their whole life. What would you say to them, Sarah? What would your encouragement be to them today? If you have doubts, whether that's about your salvation or even more so about God himself, about the Bible, about Christianity, um, don't ignore them. Address them examine why for me it came to looking at you know I've got this impressive church resume but when it came down to I looked at my motives why had I done the things I had a lot of times it had been selfish or opportunities just fallen in my lap being a minister's kid so I took them or you know I went on that mission trip because it was fun and not truly because I, I was not doing it for Christ and two I would say talk to somebody don't keep that to yourself right we've got a lot of great ministers and leaders um, right. there's no reason not to talk to somebody uh, I said this when you said in the first service you had an impressive church resume and an impressive church resume is, is a neat thing that's not going to get you to heaven is it um, Sarah thank you so much and I'm, I'm so your courage to make your decision and to share that today would y'all give Sarah a hand for Sarah, I'm going to pray for us and let you on down from the stage. Lord, thank you for Sarah's words and for her courage. And God, I pray you'll give us the courage now to do whatever it is we need to do with you.
this morning. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, that, what, what a great word. What a great challenging testimony. We are in a series we started last week on wisdom. Wise up, be wise. And we're going to be in Proverbs starting next week and a lot this winter and this spring. But I told you the first four sermons were laying the foundation of, of wisdom. Wisdom is not just learning to control your tongue and your temper, which it is. But wisdom has a foundation. It's who you are. So we're in Matthew 13 this morning. Matthew 13. And we're going to explore that topic that Sarah opened up to us the, to, uh, earlier. And, and I want to begin with a question. We're going to go back to this question later, or this statement. It's not a question. I want to challenge you, no matter what it costs you, give your life to Christ today if you need to. No matter what it costs you, what do you mean it's going to cost? I'll explain that later. No matter what it might cost you, I challenge you this morning to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning. In our story, Matthew 13, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells, look, all that he has and buys the field. This is a common scenario in Jesus' day. They did not have banks and financial institutions like we did. So you had to be very careful with your gold, your money, your coins, whatever. And if a you had a bad king, you had a bad governor, or if the enemy armies are coming, and you got money and gold, you, a lot of times what people did was, is they would hide it. They would bury it in the ground and they would flee. The, the thought is we'll come back after the enemy's gone and we will get our money and everything will be good. Well, what, what happens sometimes is that they don't ever make it back. They get killed in the, in the struggle or the battle. They get back two years later and they don't remember where it's, it was buried. It was not uncommon. For a person that you, you buried the money and you, you covered it up and you hid it. And the law in Jesus' day was that if you found buried treasure and you could go purchase that land, that whatever's on that land became yours. So these people understood this story. Here's a neat thing. In the 1800s, almost 2,000 years after Jesus, W.M. Thompson was a missionary in Syria and Palestine. We would say in the Israeli area today. And some men were out just digging around in a, in a yard, and they found 18,000, 18,000 gold coins with pictures of uh, Philip of Macedonia and Alexander the Great on those coins. Those coins were worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. These guys were dumb. They talked too much, and they didn't get to keep the money. But But even in... The last hundred years they have found treasures that have been buried and hidden. And the treasure was so great, Jesus said, that this man sold everything he had. Dot, not, he didn't max out his credit card. He sold everything he possessed to get that. Now in verse 45 and 46, a similar story but with a different twist. And the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Here's this guy searching. The other guy stumbles upon it. This guy searching. I talked to Brian Baldwin, who is a member of our church and a jeweler this week, about the difference in diamonds and pearls. And he said diamonds are more valuable, at, you know, ounce for ounce, whatever, than a pearl. But in Jesus' day, diamonds were almost unheard of. So pearls were really the diamonds of that day. History tells us some neat things about some very expensive pearls. Pliny, who is a Roman military leader, tells about Cleopatra, who was at one time the queen of Egypt, 
possessing two pearls that valued, would be in our money, about $4 million. Two million, that's one for each earring. That's an ex, you'll lose an ear over that, wouldn't you? I mean, that's a big deal. That's a real big deal. Julius Caesar, the military leader and the leader in Rome, supposedly gave Brutus's mother one pearl that was worth $350,000. Apparently, it was not enough because Brutus led in the murder of Julius Caesar later on. They understood... They understood what an expensive and wonderful pearl was. And Jesus said, this merchant, maybe an expert in, in, in pearls and these things, he finds one that's so great that he sells everything he possesses to get that pearl. Now, Jesus isn't talking about gold and, and jewelry in this story. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The kingdom literally means rule and reign. In the Bible, when you see the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, basically they are the synonymous. It's God's rule and God's reign. And let me tell you this morning what the pearl is and what the treasure is. Jesus Christ is the pearl and Jesus Christ is the treasure. And Jesus says, when you get me, you get the kingdom of God, you get the kingdom of heaven, you get the kingdom of God here on this earth, you get heaven when you die. And Jesus said, no matter what it costs you, if you have any wisdom at all, if you have any understanding at all, you will do whatever it takes, you will do whatever it takes to make sure that you have me. The value of me, of eternal life, of your life is unimaginable. I want to give you an illustration from our perspective. Near where Cindy and I live, there's a hundred acres for sale. It's, I've seen it for, it's, it's for sale for a million dollars. That's a lot of money, at least to me, not to many of you high steppers out there. I would love to have that. You know, my chances of having that, because it's a beautiful spot, my chance are none. There's zero chance that I can have it. But what if, and it's not going to happen, the owner came to me and says, I don't have any, any heirs, no one, no one, I'm fixing to die. I want to sell you this land. And I can show you that they have found gas and oil on here that's going to generate $50 million, $100 million over the next 10 years. Just suppose that. But he told me, he goes, the catch is, I want a million dollars. You know what I would do? I'd be calling some of you this week, begging for a loan. I would sell everything I have. I would send my wife to cut your yard. I would do whatever it took. I would do whatever it took to get a million dollars if I could probably legally, honestly, and I'd tithe off of it, profit from a hundred million. How many of you would do whatever it took legally and morally to get a, buy something for a million if it was going to give you a hundred million in the next ten years? How many of you would do that? Only if you've got a brain in your head would you do that. That's wisdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God, eternal life, and the value of you and your soul, you can't estimate it. I saw this a year or so ago in the New Science Magazine. It's a a British magazine about the value of a human life. And they use a lot of different comparisons. One is they talk about wrongful death lawsuits, and they say that the the lawyers, for right reasons, try to get away from just placing a value on a life. They talk about possible income that could have been earned, things like that. The family, this 2016, this article said, the families of U.S. soldiers who die on active duty receive between two hundred and fifty and $800,000. There was a brother and sister wrongfully killed at a checkpoint in Iraq that our government gave their family $10,000. The total value of the basic elements in the human body, carbon, calcium, iron, etc., for a 175-pound man, 
you're worth 118,000. Hey, listen, chubby people, we are more valuable. Amen. Isn't that good? <laughs> Cholesterol doesn't say how much the value of that is. The cost to protect the lives of Hillary and President Trump in the candidacy, the race in 2016 was $40,000 a day. That's value on human life. You think of a person you love, you think about your life, there's no value, there's no monetary value for life, there's no monetary value for your soul, there's no monetary value you can place on being in heaven or hell for eternity. So I want to pause before we go back to this question, and I want to ask you a question before we go back to that statement, have you truly given your life to Christ? Why is this question, why is this thing you need to answer is this, have you truly given your life to Jesus Christ? I want to give you four simple, quick tests. Number one, when did it happen? When did it happen? Well, preacher, I don't remember. I don't know. It just did. It just happened. Well, John 3.3 3 describes salvation this way. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus describes salvation as so radical. It's, it's like a birth. How many of you in here know your birthday? Most of you. That's good. That makes me feel better. There was a man named Homer Jones from Pittsburgh, Texas. My mom was from Pittsburgh, Texas. He was probably born in the, close to her in the same era. That was during the Depression. People were very poor. My mama grew up very poor. They were born in homes, not in hospitals, most of them. Homer's house burned down when he was little. He went on, was a great athlete in high school, great athlete in college, played for the New York Giants. Homer did not know how old he was. Nobody knew how old he was. They had a pretty good guess, but they never doubted Homer had been born. Amen? Listen, you may not know the shirt color that you had on when you were saved. You may not know the color of the preacher's hair. With preachers, it's always good just to say white or gray, and you're in the ballpark. But you ought to know when you gave your life to Christ. You ought to know... If you belong to Jesus Christ, when did it happen? Here's the second question. What did you do? Now, listen, Jesus saves you, but you have to respond. And responding is not a work. I hear people sometimes say, well, you can't do anything. Well, in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, they asked Peter, what must we do to be saved? Peter didn't say, you can't do anything. He said, repent and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. In Acts 16... The Philippian jailer, he asked Paul, what must we do to be saved? Paul didn't say you can't do anything. Paul said, you must repent and believe, place your faith in Christ. And if you'll do that and your family will do that, you will be saved. You see, a lot of people, you ask them, how did you come to Christ? And they'll give you answers like this. I was baptized. I was confirmed. I was sprinkled. I joined a church. Listen, all those are fine things. None of those are going to get you to heaven. In John chapter 1, verse 12, listen to what Jesus said. But to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Can you look back at a time in your life and say, yes, I've been very imperfect since then, but I repented of my sins I acknowledged to Christ. I believed he was who he said he is, and I surrendered my life. Can you look back and say that you've done that? When did it happen? Here's the third thing. 
What changes has Jesus made in your life? Has Jesus made a change in you? Jesus changed your life. Listen, some of you, you've got to get understand this. This is important. Some people come to Christ and they are, they are wild and they're bad and it's radical, a radical change. Some people aren't. Some people are, are good and they're church people and they're moral and they're honest and they come to Christ and it's not a outward radical change. That doesn't mean that they haven't been saved and it doesn't mean that God didn't change them. It's just a difference in what you see. But saved people know that God has changed them. Tom Landry was a great football coach. He just coached a bad team, a minor league team in Dallas. And Tom Landry apparently was always a straight-laced good man. But as an adult, he became a Christian. I heard this in an interview about his life. One of his lifelong friends from South Texas said about Tom, he goes, Tom didn't need religion. Tom was always a good person. It didn't straighten him up. Tom had always been straightened up. You know what Tom Landry said? That man, my dear friend, did not understand the changes that God made inside of me. Has God changed you on the inside? See, listen, just because... You don't do things that the bad people do. Doesn't mean you're going to heaven any more than Adolf Hitler did. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have are become new. Folks, the problem with a lot of church people, it, we've never been too bad. And, and we, like Sarah said, we got a good church resume. But God's never changed us. He made a difference in your life. You go home today, you take five, ten minutes and read the little book of 1 John. 1 John. Take you about ten minutes. It gives some criteria of salvation. Here, here's some changes. God gives you a love for Him when He lives in you. I just don't like to pray. I don't like to read my Bible. I don't like to come to church. I'm not interested in the things of God. Why do you think you belong to God? Here's the second thing, a love for other people. You know, I've been a pastor over 30 years, and it never ceases to amaze me how some church people can be mean. But they can't because that's a, probably just lost. See, the, the, John, God, in the book of First John says, if you don't love the people you can see, how can you say you love God who you've never seen? If you love God, he gives you a love for other people. Here's the third thing. You don't stop sinning. You just have a different view of sin. I was talking to someone after the first service. We're all sinners. You're either a lost sinner or a saved sinner. The difference when you're saved, you sin, you're not comfortable in that. You can't waller in it. I would ask you this morning, has God changed your heart? Has God changed your life? And here's the fourth question. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Again, in the book of 1 John, it says that the Spirit of God confirms with our spirit that we belong to Him. The Holy Spirit is doing one of two things to everyone in this room right now if we're trying to hear Him. One, in many of you, He lives inside of you. You're a Christian. And He is telling you in your heart you belong to Him. He's giving you peace. He's giving you that assurance that you're His child. Others of us, he's standing on the outside right now, and he's knocking on your heart. You're uncomfortable. You want this service to end. You want to get out of here. 
Folks, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to you right now. Eternity's at stake. This is wisdom. This is wisdom way beyond a PhD in making this decision. Now, as you look at those things, some of, some of us say, you know what? I'm imperfect, but I belong to Christ. Amen for you. Amen for you. Others of you are going, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Some of you are saying, you know what? I don't belong to Christ. I may belong to the church. I may be nice and religious. I may not be religious at all, but I, I don't belong to Christ. Here's the challenge again that we started with. No matter what it costs you, give your life to Christ today. You want to be wise? This is, this is where wisdom starts. Master's degree is great. Ph.D. is great. Bachelor's degree, all that's great. None of that is anything in eternity without Christ. Let's read the verses one more time. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and he sells all. He sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding that one pearl of great value went and sold everything that he had to buy that pearl. Listen, in Jesus' day, still true in parts of the world today, when you make a decision to follow Jesus, it could cost you your life. It could cost you your family. Listen, in America, I've heard this for years from people I know from different religious backgrounds in America. They've told me if I follow Christ... My family is going to disown me. That's tough, isn't it? Jesus says if it costs you your life, if it costs you your family, you do whatever it takes, whatever it costs you, you follow me. Sitting here in Ruston, it's probably not going to cost any of us our lives. It's not going to cost our families. Many of us, I don't think it would. You go, well, it might cost me some friends. I'm going to tell you, here's the truth. If someone's not going to be your friend because you follow Christ, they were never your friends anyway. That's the truth. Well, it might cost me some popularity. It may cost some of you some pride. It might be a little embarrassing. But Jesus says, no matter what it costs you, if you don't belong to Christ, today, this morning, this hour, the wisest thing you can do is give your life to Christ. See, here's the paradox. Salvation's free. We receive it from Christ, but the paradox is it costs us everything. Isn't that interesting? It's free, but it costs us everything because following Christ can cost us everything. And Jesus says, no matter what it costs you, you follow Him. Folks, here's what's at stake. Forgiveness, the best life here, and eternity. Eternity in heaven, which is going to be unbelievably wonderful, our eternity in hell. That's what's at stake. You can't measure those things. You may be the smartest person in the room, but if you don't belong to Christ, you are making the most unwise decision that, that could ever be made. Years ago, my friend and our church member, Wade Ratcliffe, who's in North Carolina a lot of the times, I remember him saying in a discipleship group we were in, we were talking about heaven and hell and making those decisions. And Wade said, you know what? If you end up in hell someday, it's not going to really matter about the opinions of others. Wow. That's pretty profound, isn't it? 
Here's the cool thing. Maybe you came in here this morning. This is the farthest thing from your radar. I mean, you weren't, you weren't looking to find God this morning because you thought you had him. You weren't looking to have an encounter with God this morning. March 29th, 1982, on a Sunday night, I went to church. I'd moved back home with my parents. My dad said, you're going to go to church Sunday morning and Sunday night. I said, no, I'm not. And he said, yes, you are. And guess where I was on Sunday night? I was in church. I was hung over from the night before. If you don't know what that is, Google it when you get home. The last thing I wanted to do was to be in church. I was sitting on the back row. The, my favorite part of church was the closing prayer. That's all I was waiting on. I wanted to get out of there and go home. I wasn't looking for anything. And I left that, that evening knowing I didn't belong to Christ. And the next day I gave my life to Jesus. See, you may not be searching. That guy's digging in a field and he finds the treasure. You may not have been looking this morning. I've seen people come down on Sunday morning to get saved here and tell me afterwards, man, that wasn't on my radar at all this morning. Good. You know what? When you're not searching, God's looking for you. Isn't that great? God's looking for you this morning. Some of you are searching. You've been searching for something. Maybe you don't even know what you've been looking for, but you've been looking for something. I, I, I don't remember if it was Ringo Starr, one of the Beatles, or George Harrison. It was one of those. Ringo's still alive. I killed him in the first service, but he still is alive. It was Ringo or George who made this statement a, a few years ago. The search for God is everything. Finding God is everything. And I sure hope somebody, if it's George, who is no longer with us, or Ringo, I hope someone has told them, look, it's in Jesus. You find God in Jesus. I hope they, they told him that. Some of you are searching. It is in Jesus Christ. That's what you're looking for. That's who you're looking for. Jesus says no matter what it costs you, it's absolutely worth it. Would, wouldn't you buy a million-dollar field? If it had a hundred million dollars worth of value, of course you would. It would be the wisest thing you could do financially. I want to, uh, Josh, grab this little rope or tape up here. Stephanie Payne was here a few years ago, and she did this in a service, and it was very powerful. But it's a good visual aid. Josh, walk out that door if you would. Look at this. Don't look at Josh. Look at this. See, I said, everybody look at Josh. I said, don't look at Josh. Everybody did like that. <laughs> Shut the door, Josh. Okay. Let's say this is your life. Kind of matted up and wadded up. Josh didn't tape this real well. This is your life. Let's say, let's say you live to be 100. This is 100 years. Some of you are right here. Some of you are here. I'm about here. My wife's here. I'm here now. <laughs> Let's say you get to live to be 100. You eat your vitamins and not a lot of little Debbies. You live to be 100. You live to be 100. Wouldn't that be awesome? Then you're going to die. The Bible says that's, that's not a, Death has a 100% rate. One out of one dies, okay? This is your life here. The rest of this, Merrick, pick that up so we can give them a little visual. This is eternity. And, and Josh walked out of that door. This is your life, remember. It has a static stopping point. Josh walked out of that door with eternity. 
And, and, and he's not doing this, but figuratively, he could keep walking until he got to Tech's campus. And then he could walk to Grambling's campus. And then he could walk to Shreveport with this rope. And then he could cross over into Texas. And across the state of Texas takes you about eight years in a car. Then you get to New Mexico and Arizona and California and the Pacific Ocean. Then you get to Hawaii. And then you get to the Far East. And then literally he could keep going from there and keep going. Because you know what? Eternity never stops. Don't believe me. Believe what Jesus said. Heaven and hell are real. And they're for eternity. There's no second chances or reloads. You get this, and what you do with this, and what you do with Jesus in this determines where you spend this. And I know some of you are very smart, very well educated. But what you need more than anything else is wisdom. And wisdom begins with choosing God. Wisdom begins with giving your life to Jesus Christ. No matter what it costs you this morning, today, this hour, I challenge you. You give your life to Jesus today. Will you? Let's pray. If you're a Christian and you know you are, that's that's fantastic. In this room, though, there's people who are not Christians. There are people who are unsure. There's people that are sure that they're not. If you're ready to give your life to Christ this morning, pray with me where you are. Pray with me and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I accept that you're God's Son and that you died and that you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. Save me, Jesus. And I surrender my life to you. I want to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Everybody, eyes closed just for one more minute. If you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart and you really meant it, you really surrendered your life to Jesus, would you raise your hand? Nobody's looking but God and me. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Let me have your attention. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you a chance to respond to Christ. Maybe as a Christian you want to come to the altar and pray or pray with a minister, please do that. Maybe you'd like to join our church. You can do that after church. I'll be standing over here. You can, you can come and do that when we give the invitation. Come and join us. Some of you just asked Christ in your life. Maybe you didn't raise your hand. Maybe you didn't, but you're ready to this morning. You, I'm not trying to scare you, you have, but you have no idea if this is your last chance to come to Christ. That's just the truth. The absolute wisest thing you could ever do is this morning give your life to Christ. I'll be happy to talk to you after church. But I want to challenge you now to leave your seat. Come with your husband. Come with your wife, your friend, your family member. Come by yourself. 
But whatever you ha- whatever it costs you, you come right now this morning and give your life to Christ. Let's stand. And as we sing, you come. We'll be waiting on you.